Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Tell Us a Good Story. Today, our guest story sounds like something straight out of a Hallmark movie. But listeners, put yourself in his situation. You have a career out in LA, but live over a thousand miles away from your elderly parents. Then your father, who is considered a World War II hero, has a stroke and your mother has Alzheimer's. What would you do? Because that is exactly what happened to our next guest, Mr. Jim Comer. Oh, you guys, I just love Jim Comer. He's such a great storyteller, and I love how animated he gets when he's talking about his parents. This conversation includes some great stories about his parents, as his dad flew B-17 fighter planes during World War II that dropped bombs on Germany, and the casualty rate for those pilots back then was right around 80%. And then Jim tells the story of bribing his mother with Dairy Queen ice cream to get her to move 200 miles away to Austin. And what do you do when the rehab place calls you about your 90-year-old father's bad behavior? What do you do? Ground him? Hide the remote control? What options do you have? And then Jim also flips the interview and asks us questions. You guys, we can't wait for here this conversation with our friend, Jim Comer. I'm Kevin. And I'm Stephanie. And during our marriage, we have dealt with an electrocution, a brain tumor, brain surgery. Then doctors telling us that children were not in our future, followed by miscarriage, and then Kevin's cancer diagnosis. However, today, we live a life completely healed and restored with three healthy children who doctors said were not possible. And we're here to tell stories that inspire, give hope, and brighten your day. Welcome to Tell Us a Good Story. This episode is being presented to you by Luby Companies, a custom home builder here in central Ohio. Let them be your builder for life. They're freaking awesome. All right, Steph, are you ready for this? Oh, he's one of my favorites (laughs) of all time. Sis and I love this man. I know. I do too. I do too. I know, but oh, I love him. I love him. I love him. He is absolutely one of our favorites. So, friends... Our next guest holds many titles. He is a keynote speaker, speechwriter, and speech coach. He has also been an actor and author of multiple books, including the book titled When Roles Reverse, A Guide to Parenting Your Parents. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Tell Us a Good Story, Mr. Jim Comer. Oh, he's back! Yes! What a good introduction. I could use that every day. Oh, great. Uh, Well, thank you for saying yes to us, Jim. It is so nice to see you again. And you are now one of three repeat guests out of 180 episodes of Tell Us a Good Story. So we are honored that you accepted our invitation to come back. Well, I'm honored to be one of the three. It feels like it's close to a Nobel Prize, as I may ever get. (laughs) Well, you don't get a trophy or anything. (laughs) And I don't get the $100,000. And you don't get $100,000. That's true. None of that. But we're so thankful. It's It's almost the same thing. And, of course, I'm a numbers guy, Jim. So I looked at when was the last time we had a conversation. And the first conversation we had was episode 116. And we met you on February 25th of 2022, which is 18 months to the day that we're recording this right now. So, and then this will drop on September 15th. Which, Jim, what's so special about September 15th? It's my mother's birthday. It would be her 111th. Oh my gosh. If she were with us. So special. And the fact that we're talking about her and his dad, it's just perfect. Yes. I love that. And... We want to publicly thank you, Jim, mm-hmm. because after that conversation, we sent you our book, You Met Her Where, and of course, you're in this profession. You have read and helped many authors with their books, 
but you gave us an honest review and actually gave us a testimonial for the second edition of our book. And I want to read that right now because this was such a kind email and testimony that you sent us. So this is from Jim. This is a roller coaster ride of a personal journey that made me feel as if I was a member of their extended family. This book should be required reading for all couples as it shows the unexpected mountains each of us must climb. Kevin and Steph were tested over and over again and managed to meet those tests with the grace of God. Mm, Fantastic, Jim. Jim. Fantastic. The added advantage of that testimonial is it happens to be true. Thank you. Thank you. I have written one or two in my life where I had to really push it to say the truth. This was so easy. (laughs) Thank you. So typically, I will give a list of fun facts, Jim, about each guest to let listeners know what they've done, what they've accomplished. This is going to be a little bit different because I want you to share some of your stories that we haven't heard and some of our listeners haven't heard about caregiving. So I do want to give one fun fact about you, and then we can just kind of go from there. So Steph, one fun fact here about Jim Comer. After his father suffered a massive stroke and his mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, Jim found himself an overnight parent at the age of 51. Mm. This 14-year experience led him to write the book, When Roles Reverse, A Guide to Parenting Your Parents, and was a finalist for the Writers League of Texas Best Nonfiction Book. So, Jim, can you start off with giving a little bit of context about your folks? Because like your father, I didn't know this, he actually wrote a best-selling memoir about his life and his experiences. So can you give listeners, I guess, a little bit of context of your parents? Well, my father flew B-17s in World War II. He was in in England in 43 when we were really first getting over there with our troops. And the casualty rate on his base was 75 to 80 (gasps) percent. Oh, my gosh. Everybody died at that point. And so there he was with this brand new crew and Somebody suggested to him, I think one of his commanding officers suggested he might keep a journal of the time there. So after each mission that they did over Germany, he'd get the whole crew together the next day and they'd compare notes and Dad would write up each mission as they went along. And at the end of his seven months there, he managed to live through the 25 missions, which allowed you to go back home. He ended up with like a thousand pages. Wow. And um, he would do each mission as they were. So it was not looking back into history like you do with a lot of memoirs. It was really day by day what was happening. We carried that thousand pages with us for the next 25 years. And when he retired, he turned it into a book and it uh, got to a New York literary agent and it had seven different printings called wow. oh my gosh. Combat, Combat Crew by John Comer. So 75 to 80% fatality rate. And he had to go through 25 of those. To come you back had to home. live through 25 missions in order to come back to the States. Are you still doing your numbers thing? I'm still doing... <laughs> You're still doing your numbers thing. <laughs> that is a low probability. That's amazing. So during the seven months he was there, I think the odds got better. But see, they didn't have the long-range fighters to go with the bombers because they didn't have a long enough range. The fighters could only go with them to the edge of Germany. Then they had to turn back because they didn't have enough fuel. So when the planes, the B-17s, the big bombers were over over Germany, they had no fighter protection. So they were sitting ducks. Oh, what, so what's one of your favorite stories your dad ever told you? About World War II? About World War II. Oh, gosh. There's so many. I can remember the first one was that uh, they had two best friends. His crew, they had problems with some of the leadership. And they 
they broke up the crew after about 20 missions. So his two best friends, one from Mississippi and one from the Bronx, they went to other planes. And on the day dad went back to the States, they were both shot down in different planes on the same day. Oh, oh man. I'm named after one from the Bronx and one from Mississippi. Oh. James Balmore Comer. Can you share the story again about your mom and how you basically you tricked her to get her to move to Austin? Because this was this is such a good story, Jim. <laughs> well, first of all, you have to know that I'm sound asleep in Los Angeles on February 20th, 1996. I get a phone call from their next door neighbor who had never called me in 30 years. The second I heard her voice, I knew something was wrong. And she told me that my father was wandering around in the front yard as if he was in a daze. And she thought he was having a stroke. Well, mm -hmm. I called home real quickly. I got my mother on the phone. She called for dad. He wouldn't come. And in that moment, I knew that Lisa, the neighbor's diagnosis was probably true. And indeed, he was having a stroke. And within hours, I was on a plane to Dallas from L.A. And I had to get dad into a rehab within a week. The doctors at the hospital said, first of all, dad wasn't walking, talking. He couldn't mm. pee. He was tied up to a catheter. And he, he couldn't communicate at all. And mother didn't understand what was happening because of dementia. And so they tell me I got to get dad in rehab within a week. So I fly down to Austin, 200 miles south, because we couldn't do it in Dallas because we had no family in Dallas. They had friends, neighbors, people from their church, but no family. And family is essential when you've got a disaster. Flew down to Austin, and my cousin took me to four rehab places in one afternoon. They all looked the same to me. <laughs> I didn't have the slightest idea how to pick one. You know, I made my choice real logically. A nurse smiled at me at one of them. That was it. That was it. I chose St. David because of a nurse smiling. And then they said they would come get dad in an ambulance and bring him down and Medicare would pay for it. That sounded oh. good. So I fly <laughs> home that night and I tell mother, well, dad is going to be in Austin. It's going to be great. And she said in her Southern Belle way, that's very nice for your father, but I am staying right here in my house in Dallas. I'm not going anywhere. Well, of course, she had dementia. She couldn't care for herself. Dad had been doing everything. She couldn't live alone, but she didn't know it. So I had to find a way to get her to Austin. And I came up with a brilliant idea. I call it uh, therapeutic lying. <laughs> it's a very important medical term you'll want to know, therapeutic lying. And so I, the day before Dad was going to be going down in the in the ambulance, I thought, well, okay, that day we're going down. And I packed for my mother. It wasn't pretty. But I did it. I packed the car. She didn't know it. And on Monday morning, I come to her. She's sitting at the breakfast table, reading the Dallas Morning News, having her breakfast. And I kneel down beside her with a big smile. And I say, Mama, would you like to go get some ice cream? <laughs> My mother loves ice cream. Even at eight in the morning, she smiled. She got put the paper down, got right up from the table, happily walked with me, got into the car, and we drove away from her home. And she never saw it again. Oh. Don't you think I'm a bad guy? The very first Dairy Queen we came to, <laughs> stopped the car, 
put in. I got her the biggest, gooeyest chocolate sundae you can ever imagine. And then we headed for the freeway to Austin. And I kept waiting for her to say something like, where are we going, Jim? This doesn't look like the way home. She never said anything about where we were going for three hours. Wow. And I delivered her to my cousin's house, who had assured their eventual sainthood by agreeing to keep her. <laughs> and then I headed for the airport. I'd been gone 11 days, and I needed to get back to work. I had a full-time job in L.A. Oh, but at that point, did you realize how sick your mom was? Had you known before oh, I, that? Oh, I, oh no. She, I had known that she had dementia. It had been coming on for six years. But see, I only got to come home, you mm -hmm. know, a week at Christmas, maybe a week in the summer. And I knew things were, were not good. But my father was in total, complete denial. He mm -hmm. would never talk about mother's memory. He never said the A word, Alzheimer's, in his whole life. When I would start bringing up something about mother, he would get up and leave the table, walk out of the room. And I let him get by with that year after year. And that was a big mistake on my part. You can't ignore what's happening. If yeah. you are in a family where there's clearly something wrong, you need to deal with it. You need to acknowledge it. Even if it causes a fight, even if there are tears and loud words and upset, it doesn't matter. Better to have tears and yelling than to have a disaster come and you're not ready for it like we had. All right, Steph, I'm going to test you again here. What is your favorite book of all time? Uh, obviously, it's the Bible, Kevin. <laughs> yes. Nailed it. Very good. This time, you didn't say the book we wrote called You Met Her Where. But it's still a really good book. That is true. And it would make a great gift for friends or relatives on their birthday or for Christmas. Friends, you can order your copy of our book titled You Met Her Where at KevinAndSteph.com. And we will make sure to personally sign a copy for you or whoever you want. And as always, thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. So three of our four parents, mm -hmm. Jim, will actually be turning 70 within the next couple of years. So what I've seen is having a 70-year-old parent is actually much different than having an 80-year-old parent, right? So you did know that your parents were in bad shape, right, health-wise. But were you ready to be a caregiver when, well, <laughs> when that time came? Well, daddy wasn't in bad shape. He was 86 and in great health. In fact, really? he, wow. was, he was mowing the corner lot, big lot, up until the year before his stroke. He was up, he was installing uh, ceiling fans for people. Oh, no, he was in great health. And mother had been in good physical health. It's just that starting probably when she was about 78, she began to have the memory losses that became the dementia. So, yes, there's a big difference between 70 or 80 or mid-80s. That can be. Of course, everything varies. But given that you just mentioned that, I have... Some questions for you. Oh, oh okay. Uh, we're going to turn okay. this around. For, oh, yes. I know that this is typical for your guests, and <laughs> I have one. First of all, do you know if your parents have up-to-date wills? Yes. Mind you. No clue. You have no clue? No clue. Wow. <laughs> you, well, you, it would be a good idea to ask that question. I guess I know my mother does, but yeah, I'm not sure about my dad. Mm. Okay. You need to ask him that. Because if you die without a will, it is a mess. A meso grande, as you say in Texas. <laughs> I mean, well, look at that. Uh, recently, we've had Aretha Franklin put $80 million, no will. It lasted four years in court. So it's just bizarre how many people don't have a will. Now, I'm going to ask mm -hmm. a second question. Do the, the two of you have wills? Yes. Mm -hmm. Do you? 
We do. That's a yes. I'm so yes. proud of you. Here's the deal. Only about three out of 10 Americans have a will. That means that seven out of 10 don't have a will. And I got to tell you, 10 out of 10 are dying. I know that because <laughs> I Googled it. <laughs> I mean, and yet people are in such denial. Mm-hmm. It's amazing the denial. Even, the, even people that are in their 80s and 90s who it's clearly it's coming and they don't want to do it. And it leaves such a mess for the family. Hey, Jim, here's what's wild. My dad is probably listening to this. So, Dad, let me know about the will situation, right, ne- next time we talk. But Yes, Dad, let him know. <laughs> I've heard him talk about the plot that he's got already you know, picked out for the cemetery, but I'm not aware of any will. Mm. So, it's interesting. I mean, we have talked about that, but not, not the will. The fact that he's got a plot means that he's thinking ahead, so that's encouraging. Because, mm-hmm. because let's just be honest, in most American families can't afford these wonderful uh, long-term care facilities. They're very expensive. Those are the kind of questions families need to be asked, and yet they don't do it because they, they want to make their parents feel like they're pushing them. Well, it's not only that. It's hard for the children to talk and to think about their parents not being there anymore, right? So there's exactly definitely right. a two-fold situation. I don't want to bring it up. Maybe you should, Steph, next No, time I don't want to bring it up either. I- <laughs> Jim, we're going to need you to call. We're going to need you to call in and talk to our parents. You know, I really think you said made such a good point there, Steph, because often it is the kids that don't want to talk about it because they're freaked mm-hmm. out. So parents, older parents, if you're listening and your kids haven't said anything about it, you can bring it up with them. Yes. It could be it's a two-way street. It is. My parents actually did it probably within the last year, and it was not a fun conversation. But like you said, it was a needed conversation. Am I in their will? You're not. No. <laughs> I didn't make the cut. You didn't make it. But we, they love you so much. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> one last one. Do you know which of your siblings will show up for your parents and who might be missing in action? I do. Good. Because yes. that's a real important thing to know. You may mm-hmm. think they're all going to show up, but it's not true in most families. Mm. Some show up, some don't, some send checks from far away or not. Yeah. Right. It's very important to really know who the caregivers are going to be and who they're not going to be. So you mm-hmm. can make those plans ahead of time. Those people know what's going on. Oh, that's good, Jim. So, Jim, as you were traveling the country speaking, what surprised you, I guess, the most about talking to caregivers? Um, it's, well, here's a pet peeve of mine. Uh, I call it drive-by caregivers. Okay. These are the ones who live in a big fancy town in Dallas, Houston, Chicago, New York, wherever, L.A., and they're really not involved in the care at all. And yet they'll come in maybe once a year for two days. They'll jet in. They'll criticize everything that the real caregivers are doing. They're giving them all this advice. They don't know what they're talking about. And then they'll jet out two days later, leaving you know, catastrophe in their wake. And I tell the real caregivers who pay no attention to them at all, Mm. unless they're willing to give the real caregivers a break and spend a week or two with mom and dad really doing it in the trenches, then they have a right to make a comment. But if they're not part of the day-by-day caregiving, just don't pay attention to them at all Mm because they don't know what they're talking about. So I have a question for you, because you, at that point, you were the only son taking care of mom and dad. So how were you mentally during this whole thing? Well, at first, 
I was just overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Because A, we hadn't had a lot of the conversations we needed to have. And I can still remember after that first 11 days when I got in, you know, I got dad in rehab and I got mother down there. Two weeks later, I'm back and, I, and I, I go to the hospital to see my father. And he's still not walking. He's still got the catheter. But when I walked in the room, he, his vision and his mind, they were fine. And he saw me and he forced out three words. Yeah. Me, and from the look on his face, I knew exactly what kind of pills he wanted me to get. What kind do you think he wanted? He was done with his life. Yes. He wanted me to help him end his life because he didn't want to hang around dependent because he had been so independent all of his life. And so I said to him, and of course, he was also deaf on top of everything. I said, Dad, I can't do that. I'll go to jail. <laughs> no, no, not hell, Dad, jail. Well, maybe hell, too. I'm not kidding. And he did not care for my answer. I could see that. So I went to the doctor, and I said, is there anything we can do to maybe restore his ability to go to the bathroom? He said, well, maybe there's an operation on the prostate that might work. I said, well, let's do it. Got Dad to sign. Two weeks later, they did the operation, and two weeks after that, he could pee on his own, and it changed everything. Wow. Suddenly, he wanted to live. Wow. One thing. And, of course, foolish me, I thought, well, now it's going to be so much easier, and I'm out in California, and one day, about two weeks after that, I get a call from the head of the rehab saying, Mr. Comer, I call it a parent-teacher call, Uh, Mr. Comer. (laughs) I need to talk to you about your father. I said, okay, yes. He said, we're going to have to ask him to leave the rehab because he has been yelling uh, curse words to the Oh, no. What? What? My father? The Sunday school teacher? Yes, he has been. And many times. I went, my father was being expelled. They tell me you have a week. Get him someplace else. Well, I knew what had happened. My father wasn't wearing his hearing aids. They weren't doing what he wanted. He was got upset. He yelled. Who knows? But the point is, I had to fly back again. And by this time, I knew my mother was driving my poor cousins crazy. I needed a place for both of them. And I found the only place in Austin at the time, 1996, that was a continuum of care. You know what that means? That means independent living, skilled nursing, and nursing care. All in one campus. There was only one. And I got there on a Friday at noon. And by some miracle... They had openings in skilled nursing for dad and assisted living for mother. It was really an answer to prayer. And by Monday, they were in. They were in. Wow. That made a giant difference. For some reason, moving there got my father energized. And he began to make a real effort at recovery. And in four months from then, he was walking and talking and telling me how to drive just (laughs) the way he always. (laughs) And um, then I showed up in October. I decided during the summer that I just couldn't do what I needed to do from a thousand miles. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I needed to either, I had to bring him to California where they didn't know anybody but me and it was much more expensive or I had to quit my job and leave my house and leave my church and move to Texas. But that was the right decision and I've ne- never regret it. Steph, what is one of the most asked questions we get about tell us a good story? Uh, do I really get that excited? <laughs> Besides that one. <laughs> 
oh, how do we get all these incredible guests? Correct. Yes. And some of our best conversations have been with guests who our listeners have reached out to us and said, you should talk to this person. To name just a few, Nick Vujicic, Coach Tom Ryan, Carol Mutika were all recommendations from our listeners. So if there's someone you would like us to interview and think they might be a great fit for Tell Us a Good Story, please let us know at kevinandsteph.com. You don't even have to personally know them. True, but do me a favor. Before you submit their names, please make sure they are still alive. <laughs> That has actually happened, and it is super hard for me to find their contact information. But regardless, thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. Well, I love the fact that through the caregiving that you kept your sense of humor. Yes. Jim, because I know with me, not to compare this to me, but when I was going through cancer treatments several years ago, I wrote down everything. I documented things that I thought was funny, right? And I tried to keep my sense of humor, which was... It was very helpful. Mm -hmm. So with you, were there any embarrassing moments during the caregivings or anything funny that took place during the caregiving, Jim, that you could share? Were there anything? I mean, first of all, if you don't have a sense of humor, you probably are not going to make because it's so important to do that. Yeah. Uh, There was my father and deaf, defiant, demanding. And I had no idea how much he liked his scotch. I mean, I knew he liked it. I just didn't know he liked it. And he found a World War II veteran on the second floor. They were on the fourth floor. The buddy, his buddy was on the second floor. Many nights, he would go down there around after dinner, and he and his buddy would refight the war. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and drink a little, actually drink a lot of scotch. And sometime around 10 o'clock, when Hitler had died, <laughs> Dad would begin to try to make it back to his room. He had to go down a long hallway and he would look down at that carpet and he decided to sit down and just take a little nap. And so he lay back and pretty soon out cold, sound asleep. <laughs> and then someone would come down the hall and see this body. Oh, and yes. Would go, oh, my God. Heart attack, stroke. Oh, they would call the front desk. Front desk would call the EMTs. They would rush an ambulance over. <laughs> they would take him to the hospital, and the doctors would see him, and they would say, diagnosis, bombed. <laughs> <laughs> and I would get parent-teacher call. Jim, what are you going to do about your dad's drinking? What do you tell a 90-year-old about drinking? It's going to stunt your growth? <laughs> this happened twice in one year. Oh, no. And I I think, oh, my God, they're going to throw him out. I kept thinking. So I took proactive measures. I called the administrator of the home, a Methodist minister, (laughs) and I took him to lunch. And I said, well, what should we do about dad's drinking? And he said, you know, I admire your father so much. What he did during the war, his bravery, and how wonderful he is in caring for your mother And if he needs a little scotch to do it, it's okay with me. (laughs) I couldn't believe that answer. I was thinking if it had been another large Texas denomination, he might have been kicked out. But not the Methodists. So anyway, you know, it's just funny. And uh, my father, he was brilliant and and demanding. And uh, we had about five years in independent living. And then Christmas Eve of 2000, my mother fell in her room in the middle of the night, going to the bathroom and broke her hip. Oh. In operation the next morning on Christmas Eve, while she was in the hospital, they had her false teeth were on the tray with the food. They threw her false teeth away. 
Oh, we no. went through garbage for hours and hours. We couldn't find it. So within a matter of days, she lost the ability to walk and to chew. And she was out of her mind from the anesthetic. It was horrible. Aww. And because of being so old and having the dementia. So they sent her to the nursing home. And it was packed. There was one bed left. And it was in a room with four people, which hurt my feelings. How dare them put my mother in the floor? You think my mother cared about that? She was just happy to be someplace and being cared for. Yeah. And my ego for a moment got in the way. But then I began to realize it was near the nursing station, which was a big plus. I so she stayed in that room for the next 10 years. Hey, Jim, didn't your dad hurt himself too, where he was at a walker or something? And you ha- you're trying to take him to events or take yeah, him yeah. places? And- well, here's the deal. My father, later on in June, it was the big... Georgetown, this is a suburb of Boston, Georgetown Air Show. Okay. And we had gone every year for five years because they had a B-17, his plane. Okay. And it was hot and humid and dusty. I hated it. But <laughs> he loved it. So I every bet. year we went. But this year, he had, he had fallen once. He hadn't broken his hip yet, but he was on a walker. And I thought, maybe this year I just won't mention it and he won't notice and so I didn't say anything about it. And one night I'm up there having dinner with him. And we walk right past the bulletin board. And on the bulletin board, you know what it said. Air show next <laughs> week. And I knew that Eagle Eye Comer, my father, had bound to have seen that. So I said, uh, I said, Dad, would you like to go to the air show? And then he gave me this look. And really, I wish I had this on tape. He said, oh, Jim, only if you want to go. So I lied and said, oh, yes, I definitely want to go. Dying to go. <laughs> Dying being the key word. So I picked him up on Saturday. We went there, and when I got to the ticket booth, I said, you know, my father was a World War II veteran. See, he's got his cap on. and his. Je- I said, is there any way we can get some help in getting out to the B-17? And they said, absolutely. And she put her hand in the air, and all of a sudden, a golf cart appeared. That's what they do for the VIPs. Yay! Thank you, Jesus. You came through. It was so good. And so we get in the get dad and his water bottle and the folding chairs in the in the in the golf cart. And there's a young military guy who's driving us. And we're heading out. And I look up and the sky is turning dark. I say, Oh, quick, we gotta get there before. Gotta get him to see the B-17s. He flew 75 combat missions. And this young soldier said, What? Did you say he flew 75 missions? Didn't they fly them back at, you know, after 25? Couldn't they go home? I said, yes, but my father signed up to go back. My mother almost divorced him. <laughs> anyway, he turns back to my father, who, as you know, is deaf and refuses to wear hearing aids. And he says, sir, you are my hero. And my father does what he always did when he couldn't understand. He nodded and smiled. And I said, he didn't hear a word she said. He's profoundly deaf. For him to hear you, you would have to bellow. He said, no problem. And he said, sir, you are my hero. <laughs> and the entire Air Force, everybody here. So we finally get up to the plane. And just as we're pulling up to the plane, the skies open up. And there is a thunderstorm of biblical proportions. All 10,000 people got soaked, but not us, because we pulled up. Under the wings, the B-17, and we were safe. What? And pretty soon, the crew came down. You know, these people that have restored these planes, they came down. They stood in a line 
to shake my father's hand because <gasps> they'd heard about him. And he was with the crew for about 20 minutes, and I just moved back and sort of observed it all. And for a moment, I could see my dad as he must have been in 1943, young and tanned, you know, just in his prime. So finally, the rain stopped, and we put our folding chairs in the, you know, sat down there, just surrounded by the planes of his departed youth. And you know something? We didn't say a word because perfect moments don't require words. But I would not have had that perfect moment if I hadn't have shown up for all the moments, good, bad, crazy, painful. You know, you can't do one without the other. And so I got to have that wonderful time with him and many other good times with my parents. If you like what you hear, please tell someone about us. As soon as this episode is over, go tell your spouse, your closest friend, a parent, a coworker, or share one of our posts on social media. However, if you don't like what you're hearing, please do not. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anybody. Just disregard this message. Don't worry about it. Forget about us. Yep. Go on with your merry day. And to get more information about us or our entire catalog of episodes, be sure to check us out at kevinandsteph.com. Thank you for listening to Tell Us a Good Story. Show up. The good, the bad, the perfect moments. Well, and he also showed us another example of therapeutic lying. So I appreciate that. <laughs> yes, of course. You've got to do a lot of therapy. I mean, here's the deal. Um, I'm almost leaving out the most important story of my whole book, which I'm going to go way back now. I have just gotten to Texas. This is okay. 1996 October. I've showed up in my U-Haul with all my worldly possessions. And, I'm, and for the first time, I'm around my mother on a full-time basis with her Alzheimer's. Because I before, remember, I'd been there just for little quick visits. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know how bad it was until I showed up in full-time. She wasn't in the land of logic. See, I had to learn that over and over again. Then the time came. He wanted to go see her sister in Smithville, about 50 miles away, where Mother grew up. And that would have been a very logical request, except for one tiny factor. What do you think it might be? She's dead. That's right, Steph. Yep, you got it. She's been dead eight years. And oh. because I was a rookie caregiver, see, I was just learning. I'd only been there two weeks. I made the mistake of telling her. I said, Mom, we can't go to see Estelle. She's in heaven. Well, that was brand new news to my mother. She started crying, shoulders shaking, tears coming down. She cried for 15 minutes. I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, I only did told the truth. <laughs> so the next day, as soon as I could get in to see an Alzheimer's expert, I got in to see one, and I walked in and said, I don't think I can do this. She said, honey, from what I hear, you don't have much choice. Of course, she was right. I said, well, what do I do? Then she gave me the best advice I ever got about caregiving, and I hope everyone listening will really take this in. She said, quit trying to drag your mother into your world. Mm. She can't go there anymore. Instead... Go into her world. And as she said those words, I got it. I mean, I absolutely got it. And I started doing it that day, and I did it for the next 14 years. Mm. And I got to tell you, maybe eight years in, she, I showed up one day. She didn't know who I was for the first mm. time. And instead of being upset about it, I realized I just had to play it as it lays. And I said, my name is Jim Comer. I'm your firstborn. Gave her a big hug and just smiled. And pretty soon she warmed up to this stranger. And I just kept doing that. Sometimes I just show up. The main thing is she knew there was somebody there who loved her. Mm. And then as time went by toward the very end, she couldn't talk at all. 
So I'd show up with ice cream. I'd show up and I'd sing for her. I would take her walking in the very hot Texas garden, which she liked. I would take her for rides in the car. I would do what I could with what she had. Mm -hmm. So I just urge those of you who are listening, do not expect your parents to be the way they were. You may want them to be, but that ain't happening. My rule is real simple. When faced with a choice of your parents being, quote, right, and you being kind, go for kind every time. Mm. You can't go wrong by being kind. What was the single most, I guess, important lesson you learned in the 14 years of caregiving of your parents? It is the power of showing up. You don't have to be previous caregiver. I wasn't. You don't have to have kids. I didn't. You don't have to know anything. You just have to show up when the time comes that you're needed, and you will learn on the job. And you won't do it perfectly, and that's okay. I sure didn't, but I built, and I got better as time went on. Woody Allen says 80% of life is showing up. Mm -hmm. Absolutely true. And because I showed up, I was able to learn and grow. And I was one of these people who thought I had to be rich and famous for my life to be meaningful. As you know, I went to New York to be an actor. I went to LA to do comedy writing. Well, neither of those things really happened. Instead, I did speech writing and coaching. But the most important thing I ever did in my life was to come back to Texas and show up and care for my parents for those 14 years and then have the luck to be able to write a book and give speeches that I still give today on caregiving. That's the most meaningful thing I ever did. It's the last thing I would have told you would have been true for me, but it was and most important. One thing for certain, I became a better person as a result. I became much more patient. I became more kind. And I was not so selfish. I had been pretty selfish, I think, in many ways. But if you're a caregiver, you're going to learn the meaning of unselfishness. And right. it was a great gift for me. I'm so grateful that I had that. And um, Wordsworth has a great quote, William Wordsworth, the best part of a good person's life are the little unremembered acts of kindness and of love. And that's what caregivers do. I really believe that caregiving is God's work. And when we show up and do our best, even if it's not perfect, we're letting God's light shine through us. Mm, I love that. Well, listeners, for more information about Jim, you can go to his Facebook page, jim.comer.9256, or his website, comercommunications.com, and I will put those links in our show notes and our website, so you can just click on it and go right to those links. So, Jim, before we let you go, can you please tell the listeners what your dad's book is Yes. Named? What was the name of the book? The dad's book is named Combat Crew. C-O-M-B-A-T, crew, because that was the 10 guys on the plane called a crew. And they were very, very close. And when he retired, gosh, it took six or seven years to go through those thousand pages. And I worked with him and edited it with him. Mother typed it. It was a family project. And we got this good manuscript and he self-published it, as many people do. And it cost, I think back then it was $15,000, which in the mid-80s, that wow. was a lot of money. And mother never thought my father, who was very tight, would spend that money. But he did. And I got to tell you, it sold out in six months. All wow. 1,500 copies. I got the news someone at the Dallas Morning News, and they did a big article and a picture on him, and that helped. But it was gone in six months. And someone, and I never knew who it was, someone told a big New York literary agent about Dad's book. We got it to her, 
and she sold it to a big New York publisher in two weeks. Oh, wow. And then it sold to a London hardcover and then to a London trade paperback, to a New York paperback. And then later I did an ebook and an audiobook. So we've had, I guess that's seven different editions, including the original. And it sold, I mean, I don't know how many copies. I've tried to give a number, but I'm thinking 30,000 or more copies. That's maybe amazing. More, maybe much more than that. And people love it. It's, it's uh, because it doesn't feel like somebody trying to reach back and remember. Uh-huh. Each chapter was written right after wow. it happened, when it was fresh. And so when you're going through those raids with him, you feel like you're on the plane. Yes. And sometimes you almost, you almost don't make it back. They landed on no gas a number of times. So, Jim, can people come and see you speaking other places? How does that work? I want to do more of these speeches. On I'm doing two of them in September. But I, I want to get out and talk about caregiving more. I, I, You know, COVID took me away from that. But I've done it a couple of times recently, and I'm doing it twice in September. And I want I want to do more of it. So let's, let's Jim do is that. available now to go anywhere <laughs> in the country that you're willing to pay for and get to whatever. Okay, so before- Columbus. Maybe I can come to Columbus. We yes. love that. Well, they can that. get me at homercommunications.com. Perfect. And we'll put that link in the show notes so you can click on it and go right to Jim's webpage. I love that. Jim, thank you again, sir. Thanks, We appreciate this. Thank you so much for being a repeat guest here. Oh, this is great. I love being with y'all always. I forgot how blonde you both were. (laughs) (laughs) Friends, we want to encourage you to please follow us wherever you listen to this, whether it's on the Apple Podcast app, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or one of the other platforms. You guys, it's completely free. And while you're there, feel free to give us a rating or a nice review. Thank you for listening to Tells a Good Story.